Today's episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast is brought to you by the Magic 5. Magic 5 are customized swim goggles made by robots that fit your face. Use code TORPEDOSWIMTALK15 at checkout to get 15% off all full price products. Hello swimmers and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host Danielle Sperling and each week I chat to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. I'm joined on the podcast today by Danish national swimmer and co-founder of the Magic 5 Goggles, Nicholas Hedegaard. He has a fascinating swimming story to share and I think you'll be really interested to hear all about it. Let's hear from Nicholas now. Hi, Nicholas. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Danielle. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. Where are you coming to us from in Denmark? I'm in uh, Copenhagen at the moment, so the capital. Yes. Were you born there or were you born elsewhere in Denmark? I'm actually, I'm actually from Copenhagen, but I have lived abroad for years um in the past with because of swimming and now I'm back and it, it feels it feels right. It feels good to be there. Yeah. You have been a professional swimmer in Denmark and now a successful entrepreneur. Could you share with us some of your most memorable moments from your swimming career? Of course, yeah. Um I think most swimmers that have had a professional pool swimming career would say that a lot of the most memorable um things that you have accomplished has been with your team right it's for me is when i think back it's about the the team aspect of it um, all the friends that i've made over the years but if we talk about strictly swimming accomplishments i've um uh, i had a couple of uh, national records here in denmark um national champion um 30 plus times something like that and i've been to um european championships twice which was probably the biggest competitions that I that I ever entered, and that was so much fun. And they were in front of the home crowd that yet happened to be uh, in Copenhagen, actually. So they refitted a a stadium or um, a multi-purpose arena into into swimming pool competition. That was that was something. Yeah. How often do they hold the European Championships? Is it a yearly thing? Yeah, uh, it's bi-yearly. So. And it was the short course championships. I was by far better in short course than long course. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's by yearly. And then on the alternating years, it's um, it's the world championship short course. And how did you get into swimming in Denmark? Because I've, I feel like it's, it's obviously for a lot of the year, it's extraordinarily cold. So how's the pool situation there? And, and how did you first get introduced to it? Um, so... Uh, I think it's uh, very common in Denmark to learn to swim because we're surrounded by water, and you don't. There's no places in Denmark where you have to drive maybe more than an hour, and then you're by the sea. So it's very common for parents to be like, your kid has to swim. You need to know how to survive if you get if you get lost at at, at the beach one day. So that was uh, the motivation from my mom's side in the beginning, and then um, my swim coach uh, at the kids swimming. Um, was telling me when I was 10 or eight or nine or nine or ten I think saying um hey we have this uh, this other branch of the of the club where you can 
into um, events. Like you can go to meets, you can compete. I was like, that sounds that sounds fun. Let's let's try that. And then um, I found out that I was quite good at it pretty fast. So I stuck around and I I swam gosh, so much, right? 10, 10 sessions per week. It escalated to pretty fast and then continued that for, for years and I ended up stopping when I was 28. So that was sort of the... And and what's the scene like for swimming in Denmark? Is it quite a, a lot of kids, obviously a lot of kids do it, but how many people compete at a sort of a, a national level? Hmm. I, I don't know how many are like in the in, in sort of, membership of the of the federation or whatever and how many competitive swimmers there are but i do know that at the nationals to turn up like 400 swimmers i would say usually at the nationals and um but they had to qualify to get there right so there's a lot more that that swim but yeah i i, I don't know how many swim but a lot i yeah i think it's pretty um they have a lot of pools we have good access to long course pools just around like copenhagen if you take like Greater Copenhagen, I think there will be around 10 long course pools um, around here. So I know a lot of big cities in the world where that's not the case. So we're, we're very lucky in that sense. And did you stay with the same coach throughout your career or did you swap around? What happened there? So I, I actually stayed most of my career in the same club um, where I grew up, a little bit outside the city. And we changed the coach, I would say, halfway through. Uh, so the first couple of years I had the same coach and then I switched and got another coach. And then um, when it was time for him to step down, um, it was sort of also time for me to move a little bit away from that club and and go abroad. So I went to Austria for a little bit. Uh, I've been to um, the United States uh, and swam uh, in Ohio State, not the school, but the club team there. So I've uh, I'd say ended up in on, on training camps with with other clubs from time to time, um, experienced different coaches. So, as and then through the national team. So I, I, I guess I've been in contact and with a lot of different coaching styles. But of course, you have your favorites. <laughs> of course. And what what kind of coaching style do you respond best to? Do you think probably a bit um, uncommon in some sense. I had uh, it was the second coach that I got at my club and. For me, that was the perfect coaching style. It was very much about giving uh, autonomy to the to the swimmer, and his end goal was saying, um, "You come here as a little kid that don't know how anything works in the swimming world, and the end goal should be that you could be your own coach." So, through that, you not only need to learn how to swim fast, you also need to know what goes behind that whole process. Why are you doing what you're doing, and learn how to make smart choices and it's not always about being uh, the one that trains the hardest. It's about being the one that trains the smartest. And there's a lot of things that go into to that. We could probably have a whole podcast about that as well. Absolutely. I, you're, you're known as a, um, a top-level breaststroker. And, I, I mean, arguably, breaststroke is one of the most technical strokes of the four. What did you, what did you excel at in breaststroke that made you so good at it? People listening are probably going to think that he not, he's not a breaststroker when, he, when I say this, but <laughs> it's probably my turns. <laughs> so it, it was uh, definitely the push off the wall and the underwater. Um, uh, that's also why I excelled more at, at short course. And I've probably done even better if I had done uh, 25 yards 
uh, still 25 meters, but um, there I could significantly feel that I, I got an edge on my component uh, competitors. But if if the breaststroke itself, um, I'd say power, like being able to use my head, um, I was definitely not leg dominant in my swimming. So um, that that I know for sure. That's why I was lacking. If you you were so good off the turns, you must have you must have had a, a quite a bit of leg strength in that respect. Sure, but maybe there was something in the um, my legs also a little bit uh, bigger, so I guess they uh, they would die faster towards the the end of the hundred. Uh, that was usually the case. And then as soon as your arms are doing all the work in breaststroke, they can only do it for so long. It's a very uh, it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, to swim that fast in breaststroke is very powerful. What's what's your top tip for being good at breaststroke? Mm. That's definitely to um, if it depends on which which uh, which level you're at, I would say. But uh, in the beginning, it lear- it's about learning how to uh, use that straight line of yours to glide. Um, you should always extend uh, as far as you can, so you end up in a straight line. And get as much glide out of that as you can, and then um, as you progress through it, I would say that the most important part is to use your head because that's the heaviest object that you can throw with uh, when you're swimming. So when you use your head to get over the water and down in that streamlined position, that's really the um, it's, it's like a I don't know what that's called, but um, yeah, it's like it's like a big weight that will sort of help you uh, with the motion through the water. Yeah. Yeah. Like a momentum. Momentum, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Move, moving you forward, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. It's like in butterfly. Yeah. It makes more sense to a lot of people to do that in butterfly um, because the arms are also coming in together with the, with the head over the water, but uh, it's it's just as much the case uh, that you need to use your head in, in breaststroke. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the timing of breaststroke is also very hard for people to master. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a, It is a very technical um stroke and my i had a coach that said it's a it's a strange stroke because you're trying to swim the fastest you can in the slowest possible way and that's really a it's really the case right it's the slowest of the four strokes but um you're still trying to and there's so much resistance that you can build for yourself so it's about minimizing that uh, as much as you can um it's really it's really really a strange uh stroke in some senses <laughs> I know I, I'm I'm absolutely terrible at breaststroke. I've got pigeon toes, so I find it really hard on my knees to turn my my feet out. It's the best part of being around a swim team. There's always those those people in it that can't swim breaststroke to save themselves. And those are the funniest yeah. people to watch whenever there's Ironman program or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very disheartening if you can't swim breaststroke doing an IM because you you might be pretty good at butterfly and backstroke, and then everyone just passes you on the breaststroke. That's yeah, always the case, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned that you spent some time in the US training. What club did you um, base yourself out of, and how did you find that experience? So I went to um, I went to Ohio State, uh, an exchange program at my university here here from uh, in Copenhagen. And initially, I just walked up to to the first coach I could see at the pool and said, "Hey, do you have space on on the team?" And they did. It was the club team because um, I, I couldn't be affiliated with the, with the school because of the NCAA rules and they're very strict. Uh, so when you when I was only there for half a year, I could only be with the club, but that was that was totally fine. Um, I think we swam 
six times uh, a week or something like that, if I remember correctly. Then I could do some extra stuff on the side, and that that was perfect. While also focusing on going uh, to university over there, and that was a really cool experience to be. Um, they have amazing facilities, uh, like big, um, big Olympic-sized pool, diving wells, two short course pools, and then like a four or five uh, story um, gym uh, area. It's crazy. It's really crazy. It's like kid in a can. It's like a kid in a candy store when I showed up. It's so great. <laughs> so did the racing that you did over there, was that all in yards? Yeah, I, I did uh, yards and that was very difficult for me to adjust to. Um, I remember doing a 200 breaststroke in yards and all my turns were just like this. I, I couldn't get it to fit at all with the turn. Um, so that took some adjustment, but I only did, I think, one or two uh, competitions. Um, I, I sort of came, I was very shy of, just shy of, of qualifying for Worlds before that. Uh, short course came and showed up and then I, I swam there for like five months and then uh, I had like a month training camp down in, in Texas. And then I went went back home to to Denmark again. And what, what made you hang up your bathers? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, swimming was, uh, it's like, uh, it's very hard when you swim at that level to do uh, other stuff. And um, I started this company with uh, with a friend and, and his uncle. And that sort of uh, took over more and more of my my time and it was really difficult to continue swimming at that level while also wanting different things in in life so that was it was priority um but i still love swimming and if i could if i could make more hours in a day i would probably have uh, have extended it further than, than i did i know that you're training for a um a marathon swim coming up tell us a little bit about that where is it how far is it right yeah so um I'm very nervous about it. I can preface with that. It's a, uh, it's part of the Ultra Swim series. Um, they're going to host one event this year, and then their goal is to broad it out so that I think in 2025 they'll have eight events all around the world. Um, but this one is the first, um, and it's a 33.3 kilometers uh, event, uh, so 3.33, and it's in Montenegro in uh, end of September. Um, and I've never entered a open water race before. It's my first. I think I've done one short uh, triathlon with my club team uh, in the past where we swam maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred in in open water, but nothing like this. So I I'm nervous about it. In but it's it will also be a, a lot of fun. I think I we're, I'm part of this uh, this WhatsApp group where I can see people texting all their um, swim preparations and. People are very excited about it, so um, I know it will be a lot of fun. Wow, thirty-three point three kilometers is a long way for your first one. Is that a solo solo swim you're doing? <laughs> no. Okay, so I forgot. I forgot to mention that. So it's a um, it's over four days, which was when I heard that I was like, oh, okay, then I can do it. Actually, it's possible for me. It, it would it would be similar to what I would do in practice, right? Um, back when I swam, so. Um, yeah, that that makes it manageable. I, I don't think I would have entered if it was a thirty-three <laughs> solo solo swim, just one uh, one one straight line. This is a it's going to be more like a stage. 
swim. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the days we swim 3K, get out of the water, go somewhere else, swim another 3K or something. And then uh, on the third day, there's a 10K. So that's the longest um, straight uh, yeah, line that we go. And some people want to, uh, in that 10K, get like, I think it's like a, you know, a marathon event in, in swimming. And some people want to get that official time for that 10K. So they can't get any assistance doing, um, doing the open water swim. I'm still figuring out if I want to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a big one to be part of. Do they add up all the time? That add up all the times over the over the different parts, and then that's how they get their places. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then there'll be a wet wetsuit category, and then one without wetsuit. So, um, yeah, I still haven't figured out if I'm going to be in the wetsuit category or or without one. I, I think I'm going to bring one, and then see how what the temperature is like, and then uh, then decide from there. Um, it's all very new. Right, I'm just going by advice from people, and um, I think I know. I'm pretty confident in my preparations for that, but it's. Uh, I, have no, I don't know what to expect. Uh, honestly, that's, that's a little, uh, it's not usually how I would go into a swimming competition. Right, I know exactly what to do, and it's always the same amount of strokes from here to the turn and back. And I can plan my whole race. Can't plan anything for this one, so that's going to be a big. No, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really exciting. Montenegro looks like a, a most beautiful place to go. So at least you'll have beautiful scenery to look at while you're swimming. Right, but that's the that's the whole goal for the Ultra Swim Series. They, um, it's a race, yeah, but it's also an event that you go and you you get to experience um, the nature from from a cool perspective. And they planned it in in such a way that you get to see different parts of. Of Montenegro, so it's not just along the same shoreline that we're going to swim. We're actually going to get out and move to a different part, so that we get to see some different uh, bodies of water. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it will be. So, how have you approached the training? Obviously, it's different to the pool racing. Are you doing swims in the open water, or are you doing all your training in the pool? How's that work? Uh, I've done a few sessions in open water. I'm going to do more and more. Uh, from now on uh, but most of my swimming has been in the pool um, the first thing I did was sign up with my local swim team uh, just force a habit I guess it was also just to uh, keep me coming back I think it's very easy for me to to say that I'm busy with something else if I'm just training by myself but if I'm there with a the team I have a time to show up um, feel that respect hey I need I need to be there on time I can't I can't be missing it so that the, that helped me a lot in the beginning to to get back into to swimming, and then I think um, maybe my approach is a little bit different than someone that hasn't been swimming as much as I have. For me, it's a um, it's about conditioning my shoulders again. They have been used to to doing swimming like that, so it's not new for my body at all to do. But it's it's just about putting in some uh, some extra hours that I normally wouldn't be spending on swimming, and then. Uh, um, gradually build up uh, more and more resilience in your shoulders to to swim freestyle for that long. Uh, I'm using uh, pool boys and paddles more than I would do when I was swimming breaststroke, but uh, it's um, it's good. And I think I would be swapping out more and more in the practices that I go to of the breaststroke and IMs and backstroke and whatever, and just be, hey, coach, can I please just do freestyle? Um, the closer I get. And then 
more open waters as well. But I'm swimming around three times a week, three to four. Four is a really good week. <laughs> and it, I, when I, it's so funny. Whenever I did four sessions in the past couple of months here, um, I always thought, how could I do 10? When I, when I used to do that, there's no time in, in the week to do that much. So um, I guess you just, yeah, you get used to whatever it is that you're doing, right? And four right now seems like a lot of swimming for me. Well, I mean, four four is amazing, being able to fit that in with your work and family life and everything else that's going on. So I think that, you know, that'll be really helpful in being successful in Montenegro. I hope so. I hope so. I there's some let me tell you there's some of those people in that uh, in that group chat that I'm part of. The, all the all the people that are entering, we're part of the same group chat and it's really we've been for months, it's really cool. Um you get to meet all these people and some of them are really, really strong and they, they swim a lot more than I do. So <laughs> And do you do any strength work on land um as well as the in the water pool um pool work? Yeah, so before I signed up for this and started training for it, I would do basically six or seven times a week in the gym just uh i just substituted all my swim training from from when i was 28 with the with gym training so i did crossfit regular uh weightlifting um i also signed up for spin class to have spin class at my uh my local gym so um anything that i could get my my hands on at the gym i would do and it it doesn't really make you a faster swimmer I found that out when I when I started training for this event. So, a little bit less of that, and and more swimming. That's sort of the that's I think that's a healthy mix. And so with this um with this ultra swim that you're doing, ultra marathon swim, do you think that you'll include that now in your yearly program? Can you see yourself doing more? Let me get food as first one, and then I will be able to answer that. <laughs> You'll be able to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously. I it's a uh, yeah, let me wait and see how many nightmares I have um, after. No, I, uh, I'm sure it will be a great experience. And um, again, it's like um, it's also that that social component to it. Uh, it's going to be more than 100 people there that are going through the same thing. Uh, we're going to eat together every every night after the after the swim, and it's going to be a four day event. It's going to bring people together. So I think that thing, that component of it, is what can make me come back year after year probably and, and into more events um because yeah and um yeah maybe maybe uh, i've always been a little bit afraid of the open water so maybe this is just uh gonna rip that bandit off and i'm gonna love it obviously it's very different to pool swimming but i think it it has its own joy that you get from it yeah and i think that you'll i'm sure you'll enjoy it oh 100 um i know i will it will be uh, it will be cool. Are you loving our podcast? Because we really want to know all about it. Why not share your enthusiasm with review on Apple Podcasts? You'll find the section for reviews if you scroll to the bottom of all episodes and fill in your thoughts. It's really easy to do and a small way that you can help us get discovered by other swimmers. Let's have a bit of a chat about your success in the business world because you're a co-founder of Magic Five Goggles. How did that idea come about? And tell us a bit about you and the other co-founders. Sure. So um, it came about back in 2017, um, maybe late 2016. 
where my my friend um, Rasmus uh, was my co-founder as well. He came to me and said, "What do you do with goggles?" He was this amateur triathlete, a friend of mine from university, and he asked me naturally because I was the best swimmer that he knew, and was like, "What do you do with goggles? I can't seem to find ones that fit." I'm here with my my uncle, and he has the same problem. So, um, how did you solve that? And I said, "Well, I use these very very cheap Swedish goggles. They don't have any." Uh, padding on them they're just hard plastic cups and you have to assemble them yourself and that's sort of how you make them fit your face right and they both looked at me like that this they came from triathlon where everything is like a new component for your bike and it costs uh, a lot of a lot of dollars and they they, they they just didn't make sense so we thought okay maybe um there's something to this maybe you can do that in a smarter way and started researching goggles, how to make them. Um, went to China to see how you make goggles, and because that's where all the goggles in the world are made. Um, and quickly found out that we could do a better job. I think it was uh, it didn't scare us at least um, the way that it, that it all happened. And I also found out that not really a lot has happened with goggles um, since they were first invented in the sixties. It's pretty much the same thing with the strap and some some sort of plastic to cover your eyes. And it's, uh, yeah, we, we just thought we could do a better job in that. And um, we found out that you needed to sort of capture data of people's faces if you want to make something that actually fits. Uh, it can't just be a one size fits all that you take down from, from the shelf and hand to the customer. So we developed this scanning technology where you scan your, your eye socket, make a 3D model uh, shape of your eye socket, and then we custom produce a pair of goggles and ship them to to the customer. Yeah, it's it's an amazing amazing sort of story and amazing technology, having sort of robotics involved in it as well. So, do you have a robotics machine that you produce them all in? Yeah, we have seven actually, seven, seven. robots. Wow. Yeah, it's a um, it's a small small robot. It's not a, a big humanoid robot with with arms and legs. It's a uh, it's a small standard, um, um, what do you say, production robot. It can be programmed to do a lot of different tasks. It's from a Danish company it's called Universal Robots. Um, and it actually, it wasn't on purpose that it was a Danish company. It just happens that they actually produce the robots that we need right in our backyard. So, um, yeah, you can program it to do a lot of different things. It sort of has uh, seven joints that you can make it move freely in 3D space. And then we started uh, coding. And um, usually when you work with, with robots in a production setting, you do it because you want to automate a task and do it the same thing over and over and over again. And they're very good at that job. They get very good at doing stuff like that. But what we want to do is to make the robot move slightly different for each customer, because it's going to make a unique set of swimming goggles. And that's really what makes our company unique in the way that we use robotics to make a unique um, movement, unique movement pattern uh, each time. So do you need, you need to put in a unique code every single time? And that comes from the face scan? Exactly, exactly. So everything that happens behind that and that's that's our Coca-Cola recipe, right? That's like how to fit the goggle on your face. Um, how we the, the algorithm that we created to sort of make sure that the 3D model of the goggle fits with the 3D model of your eye socket. That whole thing 
it's, uh, it's complicated and that's what has taken us, uh, us years to, to, to nail. And I think it's only improving with the more and more face scans that we get. Then we'll be able to say, well, now there's another customer coming in, uh, has some similar facial features to you, Daniel. And then that would uh, do a better job if the algorithm knows that you're happy with your goggles, they will do a better job of, of finding a good fit for that new customer. So it's a, um, it's a work in progress and it's uh, it's really great to get the feedback from from all the people that that use the product um, to be able to yeah, to continuously improve upon it. And did did you all have a background in technology and coding? No, so I'm uh, me and my friend uh, Rasmus. We uh, we studied international business and politics. Um, if I should have gone with what interests me most, I should have studied maybe math or coding or something, computer science, it, I think that would have fit me very well. But uh, uh, no, I studied uh, politics and, and business. And then the third co-founder, Bo, he is an engineer. So it's uh, it's really him that uh, knows how to code a robot. I know how to wear swimming goggles. So there's sort of a, um, a good fit there. And, and we've had, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of talks about how to do it. And But it's, it's honestly, it's coded uh, by him. And yeah. It's very, very smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a real collaboration, which I think is a really great idea. And as you said earlier, being part of a team, what makes things like that really exciting? So it must be wonderful to work with your friend and his uncle. And is there another co-founder as well? We, we, there's us three. Yeah, and I, I, I couldn't have imagined to do it alone. Uh, it would, and I don't think any of us could. Um, we have so different qualities, different ways of looking at things. And it's also... It is a, it's not that other people's companies are not complicated, but of course they are. Uh, but we could have made a much simpler company just doing drop shipping from one destination to another, or we could have taken out a lot of, but we really decided to to do everything with this company from production to customer service, manufacturing. Like it's, it's a, and then we sell all over the world as well. So it's a, um, I think we also just, we took in a lot from the beginning and said, we're going to do all these things and had, having to do that alone, I um, think that would have been impossible. You, that would be a huge job, yeah, to do that all by yourself. So it's great that you've got each other to rely on. I saw, I was just watching it before, but I think I saw it when it was initially out, the US Shark Tank, which I thought, I love that show, <laughs> yeah. um, and presented your your pitch. So how did you decide which which two of you went on and what sort of, how did you work on that pitch behind the scenes? So I think... Um, if we could have decided, it would have been all three of us that went. But I, uh, it's luck. Unfortunately, it was during COVID that they they shot it, so I was not allowed to travel. Uh, my two co-founders uh, lived in America, and um, we have Rasmus lived in New York, and Bo lived in North Carolina, where the production was set up and all that. So it was easier for them to to travel to the studios um, and, and and do that. But I had to stay home. But I was obviously still uh, very much a part of it, and. Um, uh, we practiced that pitch, I would say, 50 times, something like that. <laughs> um, everything from uh, how you move your hands to the way that you say the words uh, with your Danish accent. And it was just, uh, it has to be, you get 90 seconds and you don't get 92, right? It's TV. So it's like uh, you, you get 90 seconds to, to prepare a pitch. Uh, we hired someone to help us because um, none of us are naturally good on tv we haven't had a lot of media training and it's also it's different to present your company in front of 
um, the sharks compared to what you would do in a regular uh, investor setting um, where you're talking to someone on a Zoom meeting and you have tons of time. Um, it's a, a day, There's a lot more questioning happening outside that 90-second pitch that you see on TV and the little bit back and forth for a couple of minutes. Uh, there's a lot more that doesn't go into the episode, right? But um, it is a lot faster than a regular investor meeting would be. And I mean, they they loved your, the innovation of the idea, and they were all fighting over getting you on board. Yeah. And you ended up going with Robert, but did Mark Cuban came on later onto the program? So you've got both of them helping you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, that's correct. Yeah. So Mark Cuban approached him after. Uh, if you watch the show, you can also see that he seems a little bit sour at the <laughs> end. Does. Uh, he didn't get to be part of it. <laughs> And uh, he um, yeah, he approached Robert after and said, "Don't you want us? Can we split it?" And then they decided to to split the deal, getting uh, getting half of it each, and also paying half of of the, of the money each. And we've been very happy with with both of them having them part of the team. It's been a huge help. Um, they have a whole team that uh, that helps them with the investments, and that team is really brilliant. Um, they know a lot, so it's always it's up to the I always say it's up to the company to really utilize those um, those skills that they have because they have a lot and a lot of smart people working for them and it's uh, it's it's really been it's been helpful. Yeah. So do they help you on a day to day basis or is it just sort of like an overview type situation? It's really what you what you want and how closely you want to work with them um, and what your needs are. You can get um, it's not like they go in and take over your customer service, but they. If they have a um, an idea, let's say in customer service of how to improve it, they will be uh, analyzing it with you and looking through it and giving you pointers of where to um, what to think about. We've used them uh, in a lot of ways with uh, with search optimization, uh, search engine optimization. So making sure that we rank higher on Google, uh, they know a lot about that type of stuff. And instead of going out and us buying those uh, that knowledge from an agency somewhere. Um, They've just been sharing it, and that's been very helpful. So it's like having it's really like having a partner instead of a an agency that you need to go through all the time. Yeah, that that must be amazing to have that kind of um, help and and feedback, because yeah, I, I know myself with this podcast, um, search engine optimization is what everyone says you need to do, but I really don't have much uh, much of an idea of how to do it. So having that advice would be lovely. Yeah, but there's people that uh, it's their job 24-7, right? That's what they do. It's a really, it's a complicated thing and it's always evolving how to how to do that. And then the, the sad part of it is also takes really a lot of time, right? Not only takes time to work with it, but it also takes time for it to work for you whenever you have made changes. Uh, it's just, it's not like Google will be like, uh, well, good job, Daniel. Tomorrow you're going to rank number one. It's going to take, um, it's going to take months Right before you actually see the fruits of your labor uh, in that world, and it, it's just uh, it's yeah. There's so many things that you need to do when you're a startup company, right? And um, if someone could come in and help you with some of those things and make the right smart smart choices from the beginning, so you don't have to uh, make mistakes uh, as many mistakes as you otherwise would. That's uh, it's very helpful. Yeah. So their focus has been more on that kind of thing rather than the product itself. They they don't give much overview on that because that's all set. Yeah, that's all set. And I also don't know if, if they are um, 
I mean, they have gone, they've asked questions, right? They're like, why are you not doing it like this? Or is this, is there a smart way to do this or, or whatever? And, and they, they're challenging us for sure on the product as well, but that's not really, um, yeah, that's so, it's more like driving the business and it's, it's sort of the skills that you could have applied to our company, but you could also apply to a different company in the, in the Shark Tank setting. I think Mark Cuban has invested in more than a hundred companies through Shark Tank and they all have a lot in common. Right, being small companies trying to scale, so it's more that aspect of it that they that they'll give you a lot of, uh, of feedback on. And when you've got a new product like the Magic Five Goggles, not only do you have to do everything you've been talking about, you, but you sort of have to build a, a community around it. So, how have you sort of managed to do that? Like, how how do you sort of build that community in the swimming world? Yeah, good question. I um, we. I'm so happy to actually to work with uh, with my wife uh, Christina. She uh, she runs all of our um, social media um, platforms, so Instagram, Facebook. We have this uh, community group on on Facebook for all the people that have the goggles and try to share knowledge around swimming. Uh, I think it's a it's a really it's a difficult task to create um, a strong sort of connection in the swimming world. I think. Um, there's not a lot of people doing it, such as yourself. Um, but it's a um, it's a tough task. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's uh, swimming is sometimes a, uh, unless you're on a swim team, it can be sort of a lonely thing. I don't know what it is about it, but the, the way that we have sort of attacked it is, is through social media mostly um, and generate a following there. Um, we share on, on emails, we share uh, stories from the community. So the people that use the goggles, uh, what are they up to? Um, we have such a diverse group of people using the product, and it's been fun for me to see what are all there, what are all the things that they're doing, uh, whether it's an ultra swim event somewhere or um, it, it, it just there's so many things that come to mind of, of people that use the product that it's a uh, uh, I can't really pick one, but um, um, yeah, it's a, it's just about sharing their stories, showing that the Swimming can be so much different and it can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, for me, it was one thing, it was pool swimming, but there's people that don't do pool swimming at all. They uh, would rather swim in cold climates or um, duty free diving or whatever it is. Yeah. And is the goggle going to be the only product that you do or are you branching out into, oh, you probably can't tell me company secrets, but are you branching out into other different parts of the swimming world? Uh, so um, we have uh, the, the, the goggle product in swimming is um, um, we, have, we have debated so much about what what do we want to do with this technology because it lends itself to the ability like you can scan other body parts you could do other fits for the eye area as well without saying too much you can um, it's about picking up the phone scanning something on your body and then fitting. A product to that where do we want to take that that's that's been the, the big question i would say if we stick to swimming uh, we'll soon be coming out with a lot of uh, swim accessories um i think we realized that just having the the goggles is not really uh, communicating the brand uh, enough to people uh, you have to actually go up to a person and ask and say where is those goggles from and that's really uh, from a business standpoint, that's not really the best way to do it. Um, um, although that does happen, um, 
and I'm also now seeing the goggles when I go to to the pools around the world. So that's that's cool. But um, uh, we're coming out with a pool board, kick kickboard, snorkel, paddles, uh, like everything that you would need to to train at your pool, and uh, that's going to be exciting. But I think for the technology uh, point, until you get people to uh, to want to scan themselves uh, full body, uh, you know, half in the nude. Then I think we can't really make a swim swim uh, somewhere. Uh, that's going to be a hurdle to to cross. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so it, the paddles and the pool boy and and the snorkel are they going to be custom fit or are they just a generalized one? Generalized ones. Um, for, it's as people are allowed to make all that custom, but I also think it has to be a real value add if it is custom. Um, and to me, at least. Um, a lot of those products don't need to be custom to the same extent that a swimming goggle would. I think for a lot of people, swimming goggles make sense. They've had experiences with bad fitting goggles. Um, and I think whenever we introduce uh, that feature to a new product, it has to it has to make sense uh, logically for people to want to pay the, a little bit extra premium to go to go and get a custom pair. Um, so I would say the next product that we do, that the that uses that probably doesn't have that much to do with swimming. But yeah, can't say more than that. <laughs> say, say no more. Yeah, I don't want you to have to give away secrets. <laughs> Can I ask you some um, questions to give us a bit of a snapshot about your swimming? I always call it the deep dive. So it just gives us a bit of a, you can answer it any way you wish, but just gives us a bit of an idea about your past swimming career. So what's the favourite pool, your favourite pool you've ever swum in? That has to be the uh, the pool that they built um, in Copenhagen for European Championships. That I talked about in the beginning. It's a uh, beautiful. Yeah. What's what's the name of it? Well, it was called Royal Arena. That's the it's the name of the of the multi-purpose arena. They ho- I think two days later they hosted a concert uh, in that arena. So it's a um, you can't go swim there. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but it was very beautiful for that, for, those, for that week that it did exist. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was my favourite pool ever, I would say. Yeah, okay. And what about a, a pool that does exist that you also like? Mm. So people can actually go to. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. I would say in uh, Marseille. It's a really cool pool uh, down by the ocean. Um I think it's uh, pretty similar to the one you have in Australia as well. Is it at? Is it at? Where is that actually? Is that Bondi Beach? Something where you have this? Uh... Oh yeah, Bondi icebergs. Yes. Right. Yeah. Where yeah right you... on the edge of the ocean. Exactly. They have that same thing in in Marseille. It's just a little bit easily accessible for me coming from Denmark. Uh... Of course. <laughs> so, uh, but that's uh, yeah. It just gives a, a nice uh, contrast, right? You have that ocean right there and the wave coming in. Yeah, beautiful. How about your favorite open water swimming location? Well, it's probably going to be Montenegro, um, but here in uh, in Denmark, I um, I like to go to the local lake that I that I had uh, close by me when I was a kid. Uh, it's called uh, Furuso. Uh, it's the deepest body of water in in Denmark. It's thirty three meters. Remember that Denmark is uh, completely flat, right? So that's. Uh, um, but it's a decent sized lake. Um, water is nice. Uh, you gotta catch it before it gets too warm, then it fills up with algae. But the 
uh, yeah, it's it's a really really nice place. Calm. Sounds beautiful. And how about your favorite breaststroke training drill? Favorite breaststroke training drill. Hmm. Probably um, with pins on swimmers, and then um, fly kick with the breaststroke arms gives you that that rhythm. Yeah. How about your favorite training set? Four times one hundred freestyle at uh, threshold. So um, not killing yourself at all. Starting one forty, I would usually do, and then after that, I move into four times fifty of uh, um, one easy, one all out, one easy, one all out, and those are on a minute thirty. So with decent rest in between, and I do that set four times. And then each um, of the 50s, in the first round, I would do fly. Second round, I would do backstroke. Then I would do rest. And then I would do um, do freestyle on the last. Um, it's a long set. It's very hard. But that was my... If I, I I know exactly all the times that I would usually do in that set, short course, long course, and I know what would be a good sort of... Uh, I would always do it a little bit out from the competition before I would have my taper. Right, and I would know what would be good times to go into the competition with, and I would also sometimes do it more than once in a uh, in a training cycle, and it's a uh, it's a good good workout. It's hard. Yeah, that sounds like a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and tell me your three favorite breaststrokers from all of swimming history. Three favorite breaststrokers. Um, I like Cameron Pannenberg. Um, I met him a couple of times. Um, he's a very nice guy. And I, uh, I raced him a couple of times as well. And um, I, uh, he was um, I, I, he was really good um, right around the time when it was before Adam Petey really came and destroyed everyone. And uh, um, he, uh, I really looked up to the way that he swam. His breaststroke was really smooth. Um, and uh, yeah, then of course, Adam Petey, um, very, uh, very aggressive, and I think that's where a lot of people can see what you can actually do with sort of your head and uh, timing your breaststroke. Because um, yeah, he has a lot of power, right? Uh, the way that he swims, and he's able to sustain it <clears throat> much better than any other swimmer uh, out there. And then the third one is a good question. I would say someone that I've uh, admired, but that's also because I, I don't know how she swims like that, is uh, Rekke Müller from um, from Denmark. She uh, had the world record in the, the 200 um, breaststroke long course and uh, faced the 219.11 or 13. 219.11, I think. Yeah, it was really, really fast. And um, seeing her in practice, uh, she just, um, she, she was so much faster than me in the 200, right? And it's all leg dominated and perfect glide and just uh, just a really, really good athlete. And standing on the sideline, being so close uh, to her, being able to see her, how she trains and all that um, is an inspiration. And I think um, just very, very different from the way that I would move myself forward uh, in breaststroke. And I've, yeah, it was it's always good to get a, a different uh, perspective on it. Um, because there's a lot of different ways to, to skin a cat, right? And especially breaststroke, there's so many uh, uh, different ways that you can that you can end up uh, with the same result. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like those answers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for being on our podcast today and giving us a bit of an insight into your swimming journey and a little bit about the Magic 5 company. We'll um, put the links to Magic 5 in the show notes so people can check that out if they want to go and have some great custom fit goggles. Thank you, Danielle. It was a fun talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Take care and good luck with the, um, the swim coming up. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nicholas today and took something away from his story to enrich your own swimming. Check out his website at www.themagic5.com. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.